You are listening to an iFanboy special edition podcast on Batman Under the Red Hood. Hi, fanboy podcast. We're talking about Batman Under the Red Hood. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I'm here with Paul Montgomery. Hey. And making his iFanboy podcast debut is iFanboy staff writer Ryan Hopp. Hello, everyone. We are from iFanboy. We talk about comics every week on our iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, but occasionally we talk about films and movies and direct-to-video films like the DC original animated films. And this is the eighth one, Paul. Yes. Every show we ask, what's the number? And I made sure to count beforehand so we didn't <laughs> do that again. This is the eighth. DC Universe animated original film. It's from producer Bruce Tim. It's from director Brandon Vitti. And it's from writer Judd Winnick from the comic books. We're going to talk about the film, so, and there'll be spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet, you don't want to be spoiled. Pause the show, watch the film, and come back. Just so you don't yell at us. What's interesting is, you know, these films don't do fantastically, but they do well enough to make money. So every time one comes out, I'm all excited because I never know when that's going to be the last one. But apparently there's more coming, so... I guess we don't have to worry about that. But before we get into the movie itself, let's talk about the short film that that is also on the DVD. What they've done is in the last two films, they've added showcase shorts, which is their way of doing characters that would never sustain a film itself. Last week, exactly. we had, last last time we had the Spectre and an awesome '70s cop influenced short, and this time we had Jonah Hex, who just had his own film. And boy, don't you wish this was the film? Well, it kind of proves the point that Jonah Hex can't sustain a full-length movie. Well, yes or no. I mean, well, let's talk about the short. Jonah Hex, the short film, was written by uh, Joe Lansdale based on a story from Jimmy Palmiotti, Justin Gray, the writers of the comic book. And um, this was, how long are the shorts? Like seven minutes? I can't remember how long they are. The short. They're ten. They're on ten minutes. This was fantastic. I mean, the Spectre short was great, but this was fantastic. This, This blew my mind how good this was. It almost oh. it was good enough. I didn't need to watch. I watched it first. I did, almost didn't need to move on to the Batman short. I mean, the Batman <laughs> film because it's that it satisfying. Was, it was perfect. Yeah, um, it's we anything had, you uh, could possibly want from a Jonah Hex story. We had San Diego Comic Con, King of the Con, um, <laughs> Thomas Jane playing Jonah Hex, and that's a pretty much an all star cast in the short film. There was Michelle Trachtenberg in a small role. There was Linda Hamilton as the villain. There was um, someone else who was a big name that I can't remember right now, but. Jonah Hex rides into town looking for a bounty, finds a bad guy, they fight, and then Jonah Hex wins. And it was perfectly constructed. The voice acting was great. There was a great score, I thought. I loved yes. this sort of guitar that was constantly strumming in the background. It was really good. That held Lots everything of together. Great atmosphere. Had a great look, too. It's sort of like an anime vibe, which sort of um, came over from the, the Spectre short, too. Yes. Um, looks a bit like Cowboy Bebop if you're into anime and stuff like that. But just really nice looking. Really filthy, dirty, bloody, sexy, good time. There was stuff that happened in this short that I never expected to see in a, in a cartoon. At least one based on a DC comic character. You mean like the, the girl propositioning the drunk guy? Yeah, and him saying, you don't think I'm too drunk, do you? And there was there was the guy rubbing his face between another girl's breasts in the background. And there was... Well, this was sort of a precursor to the film itself, which we'll talk about in a minute. But lots of people died in, in both. There were, lots of, there were lots of murders. There was, lots, there was some great shootouts in the Jonah Hex one. And a um, dog. Yeah. Dog. Yes, it opens with a, with a dog getting shot. Which that was harsh. It, oh, Michael Rooker, that was who what the other name was. He was the, the villain in the opening of the, of the, of the film. But, um, yeah, he was really good. 
it was just it was it was ten minutes of, of pure satisfaction. And and if you saw the the live action film from the summertime, it just it makes it so much worse by comparison. If you were somebody who saw that film and was a Joan Hex fan and was so annoyed, um, I recommend checking this out because there's no way this won't satisfy you. It's basically the comic book come to life. Was this based on an actual issue? I believe so. I I, I was going to check, but I don't have the issues with me. But it's it, based. It's... It, it, it said based on a story by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray, and I think it listed the artist too. It was Phil, Phil Noto. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, he drew four or five issues. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it's one of the issues. It, looked, it sounded somewhat familiar, but I I just couldn't look it up specifically. But yes, I, I think it was. Um, I, I want them to go back and do all the you know Palmiotti and Gray short stories because there's so much material in there, and if they could do this kind of thing. You know, on a you know a serial basis, that would be pretty cool. Would you settle for a motion comic? I uh, I would not. <laughs> which we which we got in the in the live action film. That's right, from the opening credits. Yeah, the Spectre was great, but this was just wonderful. So check this out if you haven't yet. It's it's worth the price of renting the film or buying the film. I think, and if you're a Jonah X fan, in the least, I was stunned when it was over. That's how good the, the show it was. It's a great um, ending just, too. Brutal ending, yeah. Everything about it was brutal. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I feel like they're getting more and more adult with these films as we go along, just slightly more. Let's move on to <laughs> Batman on the Red Hood, which is an adaptation of Judd Winnick's story arc in which he brought Jason Todd back to the DC Universe after being killed by the Joker in the 80s. And I remember we talked about this, Paul, in the last show about the, yep. the preview about and how brutal it looked and how shocked we were that they actually were going to show the Joker killing Robin. Crowbars. I talked to Judd Winnick in, in WonderCon about this, and he was he was pretty psyched that, that they put that scene in. The whole cold open to this film is the, this, the basically the death of Robin from from Death in the Family, which in, in which Joker beats Jason Todd with a crowbar and then blows him up in a warehouse as Batman tries in vain to get there in time to save him. And I'm still shocked they put. It wasn't even that brutal. They didn't really show him getting hit. It was always off screen, but it was still brutal in the sound effects and the in the blood spatter and just uh, let your mind fill in the blanks. And I thought I was shocked that they put that in. And uh, Joker's dialogue as well. Like that was yeah. that was that was maybe the the worst part of it is just being so cruel with him and so casual. And uh, this is uh, uh, John DiMaggio as the Joker instead of the usual Mark Hamill. And uh, I thought he, I thought it was pretty good. It's more of a I I, I did a text review of this on uh, iFanboy.com, and uh, I said that he's sort of somewhere in between um, Azarello's Joker from the OGN and Nolan's Joker from the films. Yeah. And uh, it's it's more of a gangster than a you know a clown. So uh, it's just a guy who happens to have you know like a white face with with uh, with green hair and a purple suit. He, he had a harder edge to his voice. Yeah. It, he was he was pretty creepy. He was he was pretty uh, sadomasochistic too. So, um, it's it's a it's a really grim way to to open up a movie, and it doesn't yes. get much brighter after that either. Now, Ryan, have you read the Under the Hood storyline? Yeah, I I read it a while ago, so I only remembered kind of the major beats. But mm-hmm. uh, and Paul, I, you hadn't read it. I'm just familiar with the yeah with the beats. So. I was I was curious to see if if this was like Winnick's way of ironing out any story problems he had. I don't know how that was received. I know Jason Todd coming back wasn't a popular thing, but was the execution of the story overall the comic was that good or? It, it's been a while, so I don't remember really all the details. But I mean, it's it was pretty close. So I think he did. You know, these films are short. They're seventy minutes. So you have to streamline everything. And I thought he did a really good job of sort of getting getting down to the basics. Yeah. Um, and the, the story is basically. It opens with, with Jason Todd being killed by the Joker, and, and we jump to the present day where Batman foils the robbery, Nightwing shows, shows up to help, and then the Red Hood shows up on this, uh, in Gotham to cause havoc. And the whole mystery is who is the Red Hood, even though we all know it's Jason Todd. 
and it involves the Black Mask, who's the, who's the boss of Gotham City's underworld, and it involves the Joker, and it, and it involves a lot of guilt on Batman's part. I thought that one of the best things about it was it was really, in the same way that the last film, Justice League Crisis and Two Earths, was very heady, this was very emotional. This one was very downer. Yes. You know, Batman was really faced with his greatest crime. And I, I don't want to jump to the end, but the last scene, it just ends on like this, this horribly poignant, sad note. Yeah, I was shocked that they did that. I didn't think they would let it end that way, but that was really, really, it's, it's, it's such a mature movie. They went to black and I was like, are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, this whole thing was one long me going, are you kidding? They're really doing, they're doing this? Because I still, in my, in my heart of hearts, watch these films expecting the, you know, the date, the, the cartoon show, which was much more for kids. These are much more for adults. They're getting to be much more for adults with each passing one. And there's lots of blood and there's lots of people die and people die brutally some guy gets lit on fire and it's not even off screen it's just i guess when that happened when the guy got set on fire oh yeah like, whoa that happened more than once there was multiple yeah. people getting set on fire and robin is calling people you know drug dealing pimps i thought what one thing for sure about this film was that it was very much a batman lovers film for especially spe- I mean, anyone anyone can enjoy this film but this one touches on so many moments there's a lot of flashbacks that appear in well, there's flashbacks and there's also remembrances of memories that appear as ghostly images. And there's flashbacks to lots of seminal moments like when when Jason Todd is caught boosting the tires off the Batmobile and and back to his first adventures as Robin and when he first puts up the costume. There's lots of sense of history here. And I thought that was handled really well. It was really elegantly done. I really give Judd Winnick a lot of credit. Yeah. I remember the, you know, the story that Bruce Timm tells us when he was pitching it. They didn't know how they would be able to tell this in a film, but he basically laid it all out, and it was told really well with all the parts that were needed to be there. The current Robin, Tim Drake, wasn't in it. He didn't need to be because it wasn't really about him. Right, that would be a, a, just a further complication of the story. And it's, it's just nice to see the duality of the Robins with you know, really like carefree sort of Nightwing. Mm-hmm. And he, turned out, he turned out great. And then Jason Todd is you know, sort of the bad seed, or it just ended. You know, he, you know, it's, it's Batman's failure. And he's a living example of, of Batman, Batman's greatest mistake. So it's it's nice to see the contrast of those two. And it's it, it was a great, simple story. It had only what it needed to have. Mm-hmm. And it's a really balanced film. As you said, it's it's a very emotional film. But that doesn't mean it's it's not an action-packed film. No. I'm, oh, geez, I'm amazed yeah. at the action sequences <laughs> in this film, except for one. But, but for the most part, some really good action in this movie. And some, some great bad guys and... Um, what was yeah. what was that team that came in? Is that was that an original team? Or? He named him in the, in the he named him in the film, and I forgot the name already. But you have lots of different people show up. There's Amazo in the middle. There's a Riddler in the, in the in the middle, and there's this mechanical team whose name I forgot, but I think they are a real team. And you've got the Black Mask, and you've got Ra's al Ghul, and it's just and this is this is his, and and the Joker, of course. You've got like basically everything but the kitchen sink in this film. Yeah. Ryan, what did you think? Because we haven't heard you talk about these films. Have you enjoyed these films? What, have you, what do you think how this one compares to the, to the other ones? Um, I do enjoy these films a lot. I normally try to get them uh, as soon as I can and watch them before even listening to these shows. Uh, I, I enjoy them a lot. I thought this one was really good. Like you said, it's definitely a Batman lover's film. I would be really curious to talk to somebody who didn't know that it was Jason Todd under the Red Hood the whole time. Because I don't know how obvious that was to somebody who wasn't already aware of it. Right. Um, it seemed obvious, but then again, we all know. So it's right, obvious. so that was that was why I was curious. I, I wish I had a bit more of an outsider's perspective. Um, I was a little surprised by a couple of the things, like them putting a Mazo in there. I thought that was going to be too silly for the tone of the movie, but it's classic Amazo too. It's it was, not like was, it's not yeah. JLU Amazo. Right, it wasn't the sleek Amazo. It was the big ears and the green pants Amazo. Yeah, but it worked. 
the Volk it's a really good scene. Well, it worked, and it really established um, how well a Batman and Robin team can work together with him and Nightwing. Exactly. I, I thought that was really cool. And I, I, one of my favorite things about these movies, and it, it really comes through in the Batman movies, is when they actually take the time to choreograph different fighting styles for all the mm-hmm. Bat family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I like seeing Nightwing be lighter on his feet and jump around a little more than Batman does. They, have, they showed that really well when that big... Uh, something got thrown at him. I don't remember what it was, but he jumped over it and did a little like bunch of spins that were un- unnecessary, but totally in what Dick Grayson would do. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Batman would just leap over it. Yep. But they really do that well. They, one thing they really do well is they, they show physicality of character in at least Bruce Timm's films. There's a couple of, as Paul said, great fight sequences. I remember marveling at a few of the choreographed scenes, just sort of the way it seems It seems like real martial arts, whether or not it is or not, but it, it just has a feeling of it, um, the way the bodies move and everything. It's, um, it's a very, very thoughtful sort of fight choreography. There's, you know, the scenes where the Red Hood is, like, he gets caught by the, the, the grappling hook thing and he mm-hmm. slices it with his knife. And um, at one point, he, he like, he shoots... Uh, like a, a, a propane tank or something, and it explodes, and just just thoughtful ideas, and it's 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 really it's packed with with smart stuff. Well, that that scene you just mentioned, Paul, was a lot of fun because it's Batman trying to catch the Red Hood and Nightwing just commenting on how good he is. And <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because Paul Paul wrote his review for iFanboy uh, before I got it because he got his movie, movie day before I did, and I saw him write about it and saying this was the best one yet, and I thought, wow, that's pretty pretty impressive. So. I was watching it with that in mind, and at first I was like, "No, nah, I don't think this is the best one." But then by the end, I was like, "Oh wow, this is the best one." This, I mean, they've really they really upped their game, and they keep doing that, which is great. For me, it's the it's the one of these original um, or of the, these adaptations that they've been doing that it doesn't feel like they compromised all that much because they only have to work with you know seventy five minutes for these things, which is a crime. But this one felt really satisfying. It had a great beginning, middle, and end. And a lot of the other ones, they feel a little bit like they, they just had to make compromises and they had to make, cut like things. Like they skipped a step, yeah. Yeah. So the, this one, it just it just felt like, and plus maybe it was it was partly because I hadn't um, read the story before, but it was just all new to me. And I was like, wow, this is it's just a really smart story, and it um, takes a lot of things I really love about the Batman mythos, which is the the brotherhood between the, the different Robins and and how they're each different. No, it was really smart. I think that I think this they really knocked it out of the park. And I think Winnick needs to be needs to be commended for it, because this was this was his baby. Even if he was only the writer, he he basically burst. You know, he put this all together. The, let's talk about the cast. When I first heard Bruce Greenwood was being cast at the screening for the Justice League film, I was really excited because I thought it was perfect. But I thought in this film he was just okay. Like he wasn't great and he wasn't bad. He just because was kind of there. I don't remember marveling at his at his sort work. of serviceable. Yes. I could see that. Yeah. Which I, it, I it's not it's not so bad. I mean, he was he was fine. It's just like when when they had the um, when they had the Baldwin do it, I thought it was really good. When they had Jeremy Sisto in in New Frontier, I thought he was great. And I like that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No moment in this did I go, wow, that's a really great Batman. But but no moment that I go, oh, this is a really bad Batman. I just he just kind of was. Well, Whereas I thought Jensen Eccles was fantastic as a Red Hood. I thought Neil Patrick Harris was fantastic as Nightwing. I didn't know how that was going to go at all when they first announced it. When I first announced it, I went really. But he did a sort of deeper voice Nightwing than his normal voice, and I thought that worked really well. And I really liked Joe, John DiMaggio's Joker, too. Well, the thing that got me about the Bruce Greenwood as Batman is somebody, before I saw the movie, told me who had already seen it that they thought Batman or Bruce Bruce Greenwood did a better <laughs> job. Yeah, I know. It's kind of got me. Um, Bruce Greenwood did a better job distinguishing between Batman's voice and Bruce's voice than even Kevin Conroy. And I didn't see that at all. I mean, not to spoil, but Bruce isn't really in this movie. No, I didn't see that either. And I didn't really know what they were talking about by the end of it. 
you know, Bruce never really it never really took me out of the film. But but, yeah, no. there's it's not a standout performance as, as Batman. Um, but I, I do like the choice because it's supposed to be, a, you know, um, a sadder Batman, really. I mean, I don't want the, to make this sound melodramatic at all because it isn't. Um, it's it's balanced really nicely. Um, it's more of a father figure-ish Batman. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. It's, it's it's a more seasoned Batman, but he's vulnerable, I guess. I don't know. I really I think I. I my favorite was um, Neil Patrick Harris as, as Nightwing. I think it's it's a really inspired choice. He's theatrical as Nightwing. He he sounds like a circus performer. Totally, he's funny. Perfect. He's funny, and and that's a that's a great contrast to uh, Jason. And that's what holds the film together, is that there's two possible paths that this could go. Yeah. Uh, and the Joker, I think that it's probably going to be polarizing for a lot of different people because we're so used to Mark Hamill, but um. I thought he worked really well in a lot of places. There were some awkward places, but for the most part, like the, the scene in the beginning where he's basically beating Jason to death is, it was just chilling. And I, th- I thought he was great there. So that mm-hmm. set a really good tone for him. I thought it was, it was really good voice wise, um, where there have been some sort of cringe kind of things in previous films. Right. Now, if we, if we want to get to the, to the, to the few negatives related, yeah. some were related, I thought it didn't serve the film to have Nightwing disappear a third of the way through. Yeah. I thought um, you could have played a little bit more. Than, I think there needed to be a scene between Nightwing and the Red Hood. Yeah. There wasn't. I mean, it certainly didn't hurt the film, but but I, about halfway through when I when I pretty much figured he wasn't coming back, I thought, wow, this this sucks because he was he's sort of the, the draw in the first third. Well, they never they never dealt with why he stopped being Robin, other than the fact that he grew up. So they never dealt with the fact that there was a tension between Dick and Bruce, and that's completely unnecessary. But they also never established a relationship between him and Jason before Jason died with any of the flashbacks or anything like that. Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't know that they need to talk about his relationship to Bruce, but they definitely need to. I mean, if they're dealing with the idea that the sons could go both one of both ways, he sort of disappeared when. Right when we got into the bad son, we never had the good son contrast. And that was just a minor thing. It really didn't hurt the film overall. I just found myself wanting that to see that scene or wanting more of Nightwing in general, just because he was so much fun and it was a nice contrast. But overall, it didn't hurt. But I just felt myself that was the only thing I thought at the end that I really wanted more of. Yeah, we were we were talking a bit about it on the site, and we said if there was like ten more minutes in the film, like there should be more Nightwing stuff and more Nightwing uh, Jason interaction. Well, let's talk about something that there should have been much less of and that was the cg animation with the vehicles yes yeah which they've played around with a lot but here they did a full-out car chase with cg cars like the entire vehicles were cg usually they just use it sort of to enhance the Mm -hmm. uh the 2d animation but they they just full out it was like you know uh, a pixar like screen test it was, it was weird. Good. Yeah, it was yeah. it was an animated storyboard basically, and it was it was very conspicuous. And I wish that they had done just like a half-assed, you know, hand-drawn thing. Like I, I wonder I, why. I, I mean, it must be a cost-saving measure, but it's it's got to be. But it's I, I, I if it was just like they just get a get a crappy get the worst animator <laughs> to to just draw a car and instead of doing that because it just totally took me out of it. Yeah, that's more and more. Right? We talked about it last time. Wasn't there like ships or or, or something like that last time? But yeah, um, it's usually like a, a jet or something. But mm-hmm. it's bizarre. Why? Wow, I wonder why that is. And I and think they used it on buildings too. They had like um like a fire escape. I think was CG, and I was like, what? It just it didn't look right. It reminded me of that '90s Spider-Man cartoon opening credits with all the bad yes. CGI buildings. Yeah, yeah. 
I think I saw it once when Batman threw something, but I could have just been looking for something that wasn't there. But well, and uh, there was a scene later on in the movie where there's a car that's like a muscle car, which is similar to the one in that chase scene, but it's hand animated uh, and it drives into a building. And because the original scene was computer animated, I didn't know if it was the same car. I was like, am I supposed to be seeing the same car? Is this a different car? What's going on? Right. right. Why is this one animated and the other one wasn't? That for me was was just the big thing. And, and you know, I still love the film. It's just one sore spot in the whole thing. The, the things that were not good are really minor. I mean, Absolutely. my complaint was give me more of the good thing. And, and you mm-hmm. know, you can't. The CG thing is something we've been dealing with for, for a couple of films now. And it sucks. But it's sort of the reality. It's the same thing with the length of the films. You know, they're sort of the same negatives you can apply to all these films that they're, they're, they're too short and they have some CGI in them. But other than that, story-wise, acting-wise, yeah, writing-wise, it was fantastic. When I was looking up information on this afterward, I was shocked that this was only 75 minutes. It did not feel like short, I, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel short at all. So, it's a, you know, it's another strong point. They, they really I mean, packed a lot into those 75 minutes and it never felt compressed. There were quiet moments no. in it. You know, even when you get to the yeah, there um, were the opening credits. It's just a, it's a quiet music scene, and I was I was like, it it just really built the atmosphere of the film, and I was I was just amazed at, at at what they could do with their budget and with the time allotted to them. I thought that the juxtaposition of Batman and the and the Jonah Hex short were really good, and they were a really good pairing, and then they're both kind of dark and adult, and the vibe was very much on the same level. When I finished. The Jonah Hex short went into the Batman film. I thought this felt very similar. A lot of shadows, a lot of action, but a lot of adult themes in them. So would you say this is the best of the lot so far? Yes, I think you're right. I think you're right. When I finished finished watching it, I was really impressed, uh, especially with that final scene, which is just a, just a heartbreaker. Uh, which similar, is better? Rip your heart out. Batman or Jonah Hex, which is better? Hmm. I would probably say Jonah Hex. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there. I don't know. It's hard to say because the, what the Jonah Hex has is the redemption of the live action film. You know what I mean? Like I have sure. this bad taste in my mouth and it's washed away. Well, whereas the Batman film is this amazingly fully formed, emotional, action packed adventure that was almost you know minus one or two th- minor things you know almost perfect. So I'm gonna go with I hate you, Paul. <laughs> it's no it's it's uh it's i mean obviously it's apples and orange juice but like i would if i were to give them star ratings i mean i gave the whole thing 4.5 stars on the site but i'd give batman four and a half stars i'd give jonah hex five yeah i think i think jonah hex just for what it is it's it's flawless i can't think of anything i don't like it was about flawless it. It was you know what it was amazing both of them were short comparatively when jonah hex was 10 minutes and this was 75 but both felt packed full of story and, it, and you get you really get a bang for your buck here. I mean, you get a lot of entertainment for, you know, in these these two pieces on this yeah. disc, and it was a great packaging. And there's also lots of other extras if we want to talk about those. Of course, there's always the preview for the next one, and on these, and it depends on how far along they are. It depends on what tells you what you get. And this was a a brief introduction to Superman, Batman, Apocalypse, which is an adaptation of the storyline from Super, Superman, Batman that brought Supergirl back to the DCU. And really, if you think about it, it may be Superman, Batman, but it's really a Supergirl story. I think they're sort of packaging it as Superman, Batman to, for the sales. But yeah. she's she's kind of the main thrust of the story. She's the, kind of the main character. And in, 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 in this, we really only saw animatics, but it looked like they're basing the art style off of Michael Turner, who drew the story. Interesting. The hair and the eyes and everything, yeah. Yeah. And it, it, uh, Wonder Woman's in there, too. It looks yeah, like she's she, in, she's, she plays a big role. 
And it's directed by Laura Montgomery, who directed the Wonder Woman film, which was fantastic. No relation. Um, right. <laughs> Paul's, Paul's aunt, uh, Lauren. Um, <laughs> that looked fun. And then there, there's a couple other things on there that I didn't watch, but Paul did. But Paul, what, was, what else was on there? They had a feature on, it was like the history of Robin, and it's, you know, it's, it's Paul Levitz and Denny O'Neill and, and everybody who's, who's, you know, and, and, and Winnick's on there. And they, they all talk about uh, Dick Grayson, sort of how they, they added him into the comics because Batman needed somebody to talk to. And, you know, they, they go into the, just the, the whole um, evolution of Robin to Nightwing. And I was kind of surprised that it stopped there. And it wasn't about Jason Todd, which I thought was a you know a no-brainer with with this kind of story. But um, it, it's 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 a nice little background on on Dick Grayson and why he's important to the comics and um, why he's you know he's the he's the first big sidekick and uh, they have some they include some uh, some shots from a comic which I I don't at all recognize. It you know goes through the origin story of of Robin and and it you know they both have both Robin and Batman have a tragic past, but it's uh, it's something I never thought of thought about, but Robin like gets over it really quick. Like they they sort of solve that problem and they put that guy in jail. I mean it's it, it's gone through different incarnations over the years, but sure. Robin is definitely not you know as brooding as Batman is. And they they sort of explain that as Paul Levitz mostly talked about how since it happened to them at different ages, whereas Robin was sort of like like a like 15 or 16 when it happens and. Bruce was eight years old when it happened to him. It's it's a very different, you know, psychological, you know, trauma that uh, which I thought. So it, it goes in depth. I thought it was it was a pretty good um, feature. That's some serious retconning then, because Dick was also eight when his parents were killed. But no matter. That's, that's, I, I thought that's, I thought that sounded a little old. Yeah, but but he yeah, said fifteen or sixteen. Oh, but, I mean, yeah. well, you know, Bruce didn't have his own Batman to adopt him either, so that's got to help. But I think I think they're all just different people. I mean, we talked about the difference between between Dick and Jason. I mean, Jason was yeah. already he's just that's just he's a damaged person, whereas Dick is not, and Bruce was a damaged person. So really, I mean, you're talking just about who they were in general, helps them get over things. Now I'm looking at the listing for this film, and it says there's supposed to be a featurette about Jason Todd. Was that on, not on there? Maybe I just missed that. Hold on. Either it was either you missed it or it was pulled off at the end. There was also two episodes of Batman the Animated Series. I did see that on my menu, but I didn't pick them. Yeah, they always include the you know Bruce Timm's favorite episodes featuring this character from you know JLA or JLU. Right. Was there not a Robin's Requiem: The Tale of Jason Todd on there? I'm not I'll seeing. I got the Blu-ray. I'm not seeing that on the on the list. Which means it was probably pulled the last minute for whatever reason. Maybe they didn't finish it, or maybe something went wrong with it. Interesting. Um, oh, and yeah, if you want, it the, looks like if you. If you want the digital copy and you're on a Mac, you're out of luck because it never works. <laughs> it's been that way for a while, for the last three or four of them. Interesting. It looks like it's not on there, but there are four. It looks like they replaced it with two more animated series episodes. So it looks like at the last minute they had to change up the the features. Oh, well, that would have been interesting. Some good detective work, Connor. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh-huh. weird because they had, they had two of them on there and the extras, like t- two of them together. And then it said, and here's two more classic episodes so it's like they just added them in yeah somebody slapped that on there and like oh shit we're not done one thing i did note i mean this is just silly nitpicking because we because i also make video but on the super on the feature for the next film they showed images from the comics and some of them were just horribly rezzed i mean it's just like (laughs) come on just get a high-res photo of lex Luthor. I had a similar uh, moment going back to the actual film when Batman edits his own podcast, which I know we're all familiar with, but (laughs) (laughs) he's doing some audio editing. I'm like, oh, yes. I I need that filter. Yeah, exactly. That's that's, that's not on audacity at all. Get rid of the train noise. 
<laughs> crystal clear voice behind it. But yeah, this was fantastic. If you're a Batman fan, if you're a comic fan, if you're an animation fan, really, if you're just a fan of good, good cartoons, this is just really smart, really adult, really, really good, you know, Super Batman cartoons. So check this out, Batman Under the Red Hood. You can also go to ifanboy.com where you can read Paul's written review, which goes into a bit more depth about it and is much smarter than our conversation is here because we're here dumbing it down for him. And you can check out ifanboy.com for your comic book news. You're, you can go there for your comics, your weekly comics. You can check out our weekly podcast, the Pick a Leap podcast. We talk about the weekly books. I don't miss podcasts. we got all kinds of podcasts at ifanboy. Go there and check them out. And we'll be here next time for Superman Batman Apocalypse, which I believe is in September. And then All-Star Soups. And All-Star Superman was, was announced this week. So that's we know there's at least a couple more in the pipeline. Yep. I know. I don't know why I'm so so like paranoid about these, but I was just uh, I'm just waiting for at any moment to them just pull the plug. I have no reason why. I just I keep feeling feeling like we have this good thing going and it just can't last forever. Nothing gold yeah. can stay. You know what I mean? So I'm always just waiting <laughs> on Adelson to announce the uh, dissolution of the uh, line, but it's, it's still plug it along. So we'll be back every time there is one. So until next time, I am Connor. I'm Paul. And I'm Ryan. <laughs>